Thank you, Rachel, for that offertory music. I have heard that song before, and I never get tired of it. It's a beautiful song. It is connected with prayer on this day, or this day is a day we do think of in connection with prayer. Thank you also, Mr. Burnett, for the introduction and this opportunity to be here and keep the Feast of Atonement with all of you. It's my first opportunity, in fact, to be in the Dallas congregation. I've never attended the Dallas congregation before, <clears throat> so appreciate the opportunity. I feel a little bit tricked, however, into giving the sermon today because some time back, Mr. Burnett had invited me. He said, any time you come to speak, and you're welcome any time, but any time you come to speak, I will buy you breakfast and lunch. Then he invites me on atonement. So, Buzz, it is a pleasure to be here. The brethren of Kansas and Oklahoma would want me to greet you for them. They are going to a number of feast sites, looking forward to about five different sites that your brethren in the two states to the north of you will be going to. They will be going to Hawaii, Estes Park, Branson, Alabama, and Ireland, and some even Texas, and two, Ghana. That's my wife and I will be going to Ghana. In fact, that's why we're here in Dallas today, not because Mr. Burnett invited me specifically to come and speak, but we're here because we are flying out tonight to head to Ghana for the Feast of Tabernacles, and we are looking forward to that adventure very much. We were quite surprised to learn there would be some 500 people in attendance in Ghana. So uh, that's going to be very interesting and exciting. I thought both the uh, song leader and Mr. Burnett were joking, but there really is water up here. Mr. Burnett says he didn't do it, but I recalled the scripture in James 1 that says, God does not tempt it's not God who does that. And Mr. Burnett said it's not, it's not his fault, but he is the pastor of this congregation. <laughs> Ultimately responsible for what goes on here. So I would still hold him responsible for the temptation. Although they are, the caps are still screwed on tight. So if he really wanted to tempt, he could have unscrewed a cap. Before beginning this sermon, I thought I would mention, mostly for the benefit of Mr. Evans, the song leader, that this may be a fast sermon. Well, he may have been the only one who found that funny. <laughs> Can you put in just a few words what this day means? Well, let's start with some clues. The first clue is that all the fall festivals point to future events. So whatever this day means, it has something to do with the future. The second clue is that all these future events are chronological. They fall in order. The Feast of Trumpets was the first of the fall festivals. It pointed to a future event, in fact, a rather extended future event. 
The Feast of Trumpets pointed to the seven trumpets that will sound over the period of a year, the day of the Lord, and the seventh trumpet with the return of Jesus Christ and the first resurrection at his return. It's all wrapped up in the Feast of Trumpets. The festival after today points to the millennium, the whole millennium, the Feast of Tabernacles. Therefore, atonement, today's festival, which falls between trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles, focuses on something between the return of Christ, or what culminated in the return of Christ, and the millennium, the whole millennium. The third clue is in the word itself, atonement. Let's turn again to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23 and verse 28. One of the handiest chapters in the Bible to know where the chapter is because it lists all of God's festivals in one neat, handy chapter. Leviticus 23 and verse 28. And the Eternal spoke to Moses, I'm starting in 26, saying, The tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls. Now let's skip to verse 28. And you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Eternal, your God. Now if we look at the word atonement, actually the two words in verse 28, and in the New King James Version, you see atonement capital A, and you see atonement small a. But there are two words in that verse. And the word atonement gives us a great clue as to the meaning of, the meaning of this day. First it says, in verse 28, it is the day of atonement. There the word atonement is translated from the Hebrew word kippur. K-I-P-P. You are Kippur, K-I-P-P-U-R. That is a noun. That word means expiation, amends, ransom, satisfaction, and covering. Now the verse goes on to say, to make atonement. That's a different word, actually. The Hebrew word there is a verb, and the verb is kafar, K-A-P-H-A-R, kafar. It's very close, very, very close. It's derived from the other. But the verb kafar means to cover, to expiate, to placate, pacify, appease, pardon, purge, or reconcile. Now these various definitions you can see between a number of uh, Bible dictionaries, Hebrew lexicons, and so forth. But in fact, these two words, the noun and the verb, are directly related. The noun, Kippur, is Strong's number 3725. It's derived from the verb, kafar. Strong's 3722. They're just very, very close. So we have this noun and this verb. One is the noun and the other is the action. So to put it in simple terms, 
as an analogy, if we had in the midst of this room, right here in the middle, in these open chairs, the chairs are taken out, and there's a huge garbage can filled with disgusting, smelly, really awful-looking garbage, offensive stuff, in other words, then the garbage can lid, which at the moment is not on, unfortunately, the garbage can lid is Kapoor. The cover is Kapoor. The action of putting the cover on is Kafar, the verb. And after we've covered the stinky can with its cover, then we can all stop holding our noses, breathe easier, and no longer have to see the disgusting, offensive garbage. Let's use another analogy of these two words for atonement, taking it up a level to the human level. So by analogy, let's pretend two of you in this room who know each other very well, you have a good relationship, until, or at least you used to have a good relationship, and tell the other person, it wouldn't be you, it would be the other person, did several things to offend you. And it built up, and it put great strain on the relationship. For one thing, you'd been giving them a ride. Every Sabbath, out of, you've gone out of your way, considerable mileage out of your way, extra gas money you've been spending. They said they'd give you gas money each time. They never have. And then, several Sabbaths, they promised to come by and pick you up and give you a ride. But they didn't. They forgot. They promised to be there, and they just didn't show up. So that happened for several Sabbaths. Then, they borrowed your nice food processor. It was a wedding present, the platinum edition. But they brought it back with hardened concrete in it. The motor burned out, just fried. And then they heard some embarrassing story about you, and they went and put it on Facebook. So would you say that that has now built a strain in your relationship, that you have this, this estrangement? I would say so. So what would you want to see in order to have a good relationship restored again? What would you need to see from that person? Well, in a nutshell, what you would need to see is atonement. Literally, atonement. For example, if he or she came to you one day in tears and apologized for each one of their offenses against you. And on top of that, you had just happened to be on Facebook yourself and you noticed their recent post apologizing profusely for, for everything they, they said embarrassing about you. And they set the record straight, in fact. And on top of that, they handed you an envelope full of gas money for all the rides that you've given them, plus gas money for another tank or two on top of that. And on top of that, they've handed you a gift certificate to Cabela's. And 
a brand new processor, food processor, even better than the one you had before. Well, those gifts and those goods would be kapoor, the noun, the covering. And the actions of the person would be the kafar. So would you say those gifts of appeasement, those actions, would help you be reconciled? Well, there's no doubt. Let's turn to Genesis 32 and verse 17. Genesis 32, here's an example of the usage of the word kafar. Pardon my adjusting the microphone. I usually have to adjust it up so high it doesn't go high enough. Genesis 32, 17. Now this is Jacob and Esau in this example, and they are going to meet each other for the first time in many years, and Jacob is very apprehensive about what's going to happen. But in verse 17, he, Jacob, commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong, and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, These are your servant, Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau, and behold, he is behind us. Now, verse 20. And also say to him, also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Appease is kafar. And that was his attempt at reconciliation, covering over the things that went on in the past. Let's take it now to another level. Would you say that God has ever had offenses committed toward him? Genesis 1. Let's turn to Genesis 1. Has God been offended? Has he had offenses committed against him? Genesis 1 and verse 31. At the end of the account of the refurbishing of the earth and the creation of humans upon it, then God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. God put a lot of thought into the flora and the fauna and all the ecosystems of the planet and human beings. It was perfection and beauty. It was wonderful. So God made it all very, very good. Now turning to the chapter 3 and verse 1. Who was the first offender in this beautiful, newly fashioned world after Genesis 1.31? After God looked and saw everything he made was just wonderful. Then who was the first offender against him after that? Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the eternal God had made. And we know how the story goes. Satan introduces himself to the brand new humans who are made in God's image and turns them against God and toward himself. 
instead, and also even toward their own self-will, but away from God. A horrible offense toward God. And then what offenses were committed against God? Well, in this very chapter next, we see the overt disobedience and disrespect toward God's will and God's wishes by Adam and Eve, the first two humans. Chapter 4, verse 8. And then, 4, verse 8. Now Cain talked with his with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose against Abel his brother and killed him. And then God watches as the first human born, the first human being born, and the human race, destroys the second human being ever born. And as the years now go on, God watched as animals likewise began preying on one another and destroying one another, picking up something from the nature of Satan, that very first offender. And then chapter 6 and verse 5, God watched as more and more humans mistreated each other, breaking God's laws wholesale on an escalating scale. Genesis 6, verse 5. The Eternal saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. This, again, is very disheartening and very offensive to God. Verse 11. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. God watched as humans... Every one of them, in his own image, became more and more violent toward each other. Verse 12. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. We know the story of Noah and the flood, and that was approximately 4,300 years ago. About 4,300 years ago, this is how all these offenses against God that had piled up all those years, all these offenses against God were atoned for. How all the sin, all the disrespect toward God was covered. And in this episode, literally covered. Verse 14, make an ark. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms inside the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Now, verse 14 is just a side note. But since it is atonement and we're looking at the word atonement, uh, there's a word in verse 14 that, again, uh, side note. Uh, the word cover. Cover it. The word cover is the Hebrew word kafar. Cover it inside and outside with pitch. The word pitch is kofer. That's another word of really three words that are directly related. This is the third one. Kofer, K-O-P-H-E-R. Strong's 
3724, right there in that tight group of, of the meaning of these words. A noun meaning a cover, or but bitumen, which is a tar-like substance. Figuratively, redemption price. So in one sense, even figuratively, uh, the ark being covered and the flood is going to cover the earth. But the human beings inside were protected from the covering of the ark. Anyway, this is how, 4,300 years ago, all these offenses against God were atoned for. The offenders were all drowned. They were taken out, literally covered, in this case by water. This was an atonement. This was a satisfaction or amends or reconciliation, and it was on a global scale, literally. The world will now have a fresh start. I said all the offenders were drowned, but not really. Satan didn't drown because he can't drown. His demons with him didn't drown. They can't drown. But all the human offenders were drowned. Satan and the demons were not. Which brings us to the horrible problems we have today. This festival today points to a future time of reconciliation on a global scale. A time when all the offenses and alienations between God and this whole world will be gone. How? How will that happen? God promised already he's not going to send another flood. So we already know it won't be by a flood. Revelation 20. How will it happen the next time on a global scale in the future? First, the ringleader of all offenses this time will be put away. He couldn't drown. This time he will be banished from the earth. Revelation 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. This is the uh, angel that was foreshadowed by the fit man in Leviticus 16. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So shortly after Christ's return, pictured by the Feast of Trumpets, Satan and his demons with him will be removed from the earth. And the demons will go with him. Putting the scriptures together, it's clear that Satan and his demons go together. Just a couple of quick examples uh, to show that. Revelation 12 and verse 7. Satan and his angels, the fallen angels, the demons, they go together. Revelation 12 and verse 7. 
And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. His angels, the fallen angels, are with him. Verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. But the demons went with him. So that is an event prior to Christ's return. We don't yet know exactly when that will be, has been, or will be. But it's prior to Christ's return. The demons are with Satan. And then in Matthew 25, a future event after the millennium. Matthew 25, 41. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Alluding now to the final fate of the devil and his angels. So, Satan and the demons will be banished from the earth. Then, with the original offender, Satan and the demons after him and along with him, taken out of the picture. Reconciliations can really begin happening all over the planet. Leviticus 25. Side note, Leviticus 25. This is an event that happened only once every 50 years in God's covenant nation of Israel. In other words, once in a human lifetime would a person get to experience this. But in Leviticus 25 and verse 8, this is the Jubilee year. Once every 50 years, verse 8. And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years. And the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. Then... You shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. You shall make the trumpet to sound throughout your land. So on this special year, the Jubilee, it began on atonement. What happened on the Jubilee year or during the Jubilee year? Well, if you read a description of the Jubilee, you see that people are released from enslavement. Anyone who's been a slave is released from enslavement. It's a fresh start for everyone with no encumbrances. And it's interesting that it all starts on a fast day. You know, this very special year of release, of freedom, Freedom from enslavement, it starts on a fast day, on the Day of Atonement. It reminds us of a prophecy for the future, Acts 3.21. Acts 3 and verse 21. A fresh start for everyone. A fresh start for the planet, for every living thing. 
Acts 3.21. Breaking into the context here of, about Jesus Christ, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Restoration of all things. In other words, restoration to the way of life that was originally intended by God in God's realm, in his kingdom, with no oppressor, no destroyer around. That's the original intent for God's realm. So now let's look at some examples of the restorations and reconciliations that today points to, points ahead to. Several examples that we will look at. One, and we'll just give a, a scripture or two for each one of these, maybe yeah, two or three, uh, for each one of these, just brief. One example would be the reconciliation between the house of Israel and Judah. The house of Israel and Judah after Christ returns. Ezekiel 37.21. Ezekiel 37.21. A prophecy for the millennium. Early in the millennium after Christ returns. Then say to them, Thus says the, eternal, the Lord eternal, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and gather them from every side and bring them together in their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be over them all. That will be King David, resurrected from the dead. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. So, what went for centuries as two separate kingdoms, the northern house of Israel, the southern house of David, wars between them, never again. They will be unified. They will have one king. There will be no politics. There will be no desire to ever remove their king, David. But they will be one unified nation. Another example, number two. And this would be between Israel and God. Reconciliation between Israel and God. Let's back up a chapter here, Ezekiel 36, and verse 24. God said, For I will take you from among the nations, speaking to Israelites, and in the most immediate fulfillment, this will be uh, citizens of the modern nations of Israel, descendants of these modern nations of Israel, who survive the tribulation and the day of the Lord and live on into the millennium. I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Israel, in our near future, the modern nations of Israel, is going to go through Jacob's trouble. Israel is Jacob. And they will go through Jacob's trouble, in other, otherwise known as the Great Tribulation. 
And those who survive and live on into the millennium will be contrite. They will be wanting to get in step with God. They will then have a desire to know what God wants them to do and to do it. Isaiah 27 and verse 9. Isaiah 27, 9. Therefore, by this, the iniquity of Jacob will be covered. The Hebrew word is kafar. By this, and if you read what this is in the preceding verses and even chapters, when you put all the context together, it has to do with going through Jacob's trouble, the tribulation, horrible punishment, and then coming out the other end, those who survive, contrite. And repentant. Therefore, by this the iniquity of Jacob will be covered. And this is all the fruit of taking away his sin when he makes all the stones of the altar like chalk stones that are beaten to dust, when wooden images and incense altars do not stand up. After going through what they're going to go through, they will repent of idolatry and of rejection of God. I mean, right now it's. It's just bewildering the pace at which we see our fellow citizens around us and institutions of the nation evicting God from every possible institution and every corner. But times will be different. It will be different then after Christ returns and after what they have gone through. They will repent of idolatry and know God is real. They will begin to worship the only true God. Another example of a level of reconciliations in the world tomorrow. Number three, Gentiles and God. So yes, we have between Israel and God, but then we will also have between Gentiles and God. Isaiah 2, in verse 2. Isaiah 2, in verse 2. No doubt we'll all hear this at the Feast of Tabernacles. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Eternal's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. And all nations, not just Israel, all the other nations as well, shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Eternal." To the house of the God of Jacob, he will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Eternal from Jerusalem. All the nations will eventually want to know who Jacob's God is, Israel's God is, and begin doing everything his way, and enjoy the blessings that they see Israel has. And enjoy the blessings from themselves, obeying him. Number four, another example. Between Israel and Gentiles. Between Israel and Gentiles. An estrangement and a distance that has existed for thousands of years to this very day. Isaiah 19. 19 and verse 22, another millennial prophecy. 19 verse 22. 
in that day, I'm starting at 22, and the eternal will strike Egypt. He will strike and heal it. They will return to the eternal. Here's an example of a Gentile nation being reconciled and, and becoming at one with God. And he will be entreated by them and heal them. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian will come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. In that day Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land. Well, these three nations are a good example of reconciliations of nations after Christ returns. Egypt once enslaved Israel miserably. Assyria even enslaved Israel. Israel went into captivity into Assyria. And yet these three are going to be an example of nations that have reconciled. They are at one and together at one with God. Number five, another level of reconciliations. Family members. Within families. Isaiah 29. Family members. Within families. Isaiah 29, verse 22. Therefore, thus says the Eternal, who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not now be ashamed, nor shall his face now grow pale. But when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they shall hallow my name, and hallow the Holy One of Jacob, and fear the God of Israel. Those who erred in spirit will come to understanding, and those who murmured will learn doctrine. Well, that one family is set as an example here, the family of Abraham. But a major point in the dynamic is everyone who had learned and followed the wrong way is going to learn the right way, the right doctrine. Families will turn to God. Now, those who don't survive the tribulation or the day of the Lord and do not live into the millennium, they will be brought up in the great white throne judgment and the, the very same will happen with them as well. But those who do survive the tribulation and the day of the Lord, they will be brought out of slavery when Christ returns, rescued from wherever they are in labor camps or slave camps. Family members will be reunited with one another. And families will learn God's way together. Families will be God-centered. Not just mom will be, or just dad in the family, or just one of the children, all of the family members will be God-centered. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5. Hear, O Israel, the eternal our God, the eternal is one. Verse 4. Now verse 5. You shall love the eternal your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. 
Of course, this is being said to anyone old enough to hear and understand the words that God is saying, including all parents. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And when you think about the millennium after Christ is here and people are learning God's way, when newly wed men and women are putting God first, their marriages will be strong and they will be loving and wonderfully happy. They will come to hate the D word, as God says he does. They will be as one, as God intended. Verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. When children are born into such marriages that are God-centered, they will grow up happy and obedient to their parents and obedient to God. And they will grow up in stable families without fracturing. Let's back up to verse 2. That you may fear the eternal your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Well, that's a, a oneness that you can see within families and families with God. And what will be after Christ returns? What will eventually be? Let's go on to the next example. Six, number six. All humans with one another. All humans with one another. Zechariah 3.10. In other words, everyone getting along with neighbor, with fellow man, not just with one's own family, not just with one's own kinfolk or one's own blood. Everyone will get along in harmony with fellow man. Zechariah 3, verse 10. In that day, says the eternal of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. This famous um, graphic example of the wonderful world tomorrow. Chapter 8, Zechariah 8, another picture of that time. Zechariah 8, verse 4. Thus says the Eternal of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand, because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls. So if we see in the picture these elderly citizens, but in the same streets, children with them, playing in the streets, then we see the picture of generations, multiple generations, in harmony with one another getting along with one another. Uh, verse 14. And if I gave the wrong scripture to start with, I read verse 4 and 5. Verse 14 now. Thus says the Eternal of hosts, Just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Eternal of hosts, and I would not relent, 
So again, in these days, I am determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. And people will. Today, by and large, in our nation and culture around us, they do not. And there are many interesting statistics you can read and studies that uh, are astonishingly uh, amazing to what degree people do not tell the truth to one another today. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. And do not love a false oath. For all those things, I, those, these are things that I hate, says the Eternal. Next level, let's go on. Another example of reconciliations and at one Even animals. Isaiah 11. Even between animals. I'm enjoying the stage up here. The decorations. A blend of today. I can't see it now, but I could from out there, and you can. The empty dinner plate with the nice arrangement behind it. But over here now we have the millennium. The lion and the lambs, and illustrations of abundance. And over here, the trumpet, if you haven't noticed it yet. So all four of the fall festivals. Isaiah 11 and verse 6. Again, we will probably hear this at the Feast of Tabernacles as well. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. And of course, in today's world, about the only time that happens is with the lamb inside the wolf. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. You think about some animals like the famous bear and her cubs. You know, how protective. And she will kill anything and anyone that gets near her cubs. But their young will all lie down together. Without any of this, this nature that they picked up from Satan that just wants to destroy and hurt the other. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt, nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the eternal, as the waters cover the sea. Now, those are just some examples. You could add a number more to them. But at this point, let's go on to ask the question of where today fits in, this festival. Where does the Feast of Atonement that we're keeping today fit in to this picture of the future global reconciliation and atonement with God? All of these levels, these areas of reconciliation we've looked at will not happen 
within minutes of Christ's return. Christ will be here. He will touch down upon the Mount of Olives. It will split in two. And it will not be 15 minutes later when we see all these reconciliations happening around the world. It will not be overnight. Christ will be here. But these things won't be happening just overnight. It will be a process. When we observe the Feast of Trumpets, atonement was not the very next day. There were several days between last week when we kept the Feast of Trumpets to get to here where we are today at atonement. In fact, nine days passed. Now, God could have easily arranged it to where we kept the Feast of Trumpets. At sundown that night afterward, we're into atonement. But he didn't. He caused a time of several days to lapse between there. Now, I don't think we can draw definitive time frame conclusions from the number nine, nine days. I don't think we can say, well, it'll be nine months after Christ returns and we'll have at one month officially, or nine years. But we can say that the fact of days elapsing after trumpets, before atonement, shows some time will transpire before the world can be or will be at one with God. Again, will Satan and the demons be Banish nine days after Christ touches down on the earth? We don't know. He hasn't told us, so we don't know. And where do we, God's church, fit into this picture? The answer is fundamentally our at one meant or reconciliation with God has to take place before Christ returns. Not after. Atonement, the, the fulfillment of atonement in terms of at one with God, for us it has to take place before Christ returns. There won't be time after. Our time is now, before. He, or 1 Peter 4.17. 1 Peter 4.17. For us who God has called... There is no idea that, well, after Christ returns, I'll get with the program, I'll get in step with God, I'll get a relationship with God. There is no such thing for those of us God has called. Our time to do that is now, before he returns. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. That's the church. We are now under judgment. The rest of the world will come under the same judgment in the future, in the millennium, the white throne judgment. But for us, it's right now, before Christ returns. So our atonement at one meant with God is now, on the individual level. And that involves fasting. That involves fasting. Why? Even though Satan will be gone from the planet and all the demons with him, at, at some point, Revelation 20 is going to happen. We will witness it. That will be a, a, a stunning and profound event to witness. 
You know, we can only speculate what kind of ceremony there's going to be and, and what's going to take place with it. But at some point, that's going to become a reality, a fact. Satan will be gone from planet Earth. And every demon off the planet, not a one. But what we have to remember is even though that will be true, there will still be free moral agency in every human. God is not sending free moral agency off the earth. That is something he created us with. Every human will still have it. In other words, an alternate way to God's way is always an option. An alternate way to God's way is always an option. Any other way than God's way is wrong and will lead to death. But for free moral agency, that's always an option. If you think back to when iniquity was found in Satan, in Lucifer, and he went from perfect, being created perfect in his ways, all the other angels were too, there's no sin in any of them, perfect environment, perfect health, perfect parents, you know, creative father in that way, perfect life, perfect comfort, perfect everything, no sin. So who was the bad guy around when Lucifer began sinning? No one. He was only the first with free moral agency to realize there are other ways, but then he proceeded to act upon it, to pursue that. So with free moral agency that God created in humans, the fact is, even with Satan gone, that doesn't solve the, the, the problem of the potential for, a, for any individual to one day choose an alternate way. So what we have to realize, and why fasting is involved in this day, it isn't enough to only banish Satan and the demons when Christ returns. To have true harmony with God, there must not only be the absence of Satan, but also the presence of deliberate choice to embrace God and God's way. To have true harmony with God, there must not only be the absence of Satan, but the presence of deliberate choice to embrace God's way. And that's what we have to do before Christ returns. And that's where fasting is connected. James 4 and verse 7. James 4, 7. It is not the dynamic of righteousness by default if Satan is gone, or harmony or at one with God, with God if Satan is gone. No, there will be instruction and education, and it will involve a choice. Everyone must choose to embrace God, as we must now. James 4, 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's part of the purpose of fasting. Draw near to God. Fasting is integral in drawing near to God. 
and he will draw near to you. Verse 9, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. There's a time for that, which including fasting. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And he, he will lift us up ultimately, mightily, tremendously. First resurrection, a powerful spirit being. So we must now have a willful commitment to draw near to God and to want. We, we must have the desire to think like God, not just go through the rote actions of doing what he tells us to do, but we must want to think the way he thinks, to live the way he lives, to be like him in nature and in character in every way. Joel 2, minor prophet Joel, Hosea Joel. Joel 2.12. Atonement with God is a future headline for the world. And perhaps one day, the newspapers, if that's what we have for our news in the world tomorrow... But if so, perhaps one day the headlines will begin reading. We now have global atonement. I don't know. But it will be a process. But atonement with God is a future headline for the world. But it must be our daily story for us now. Not a future headline for us, but now. Joel 2.12 Now therefore says the Eternal, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Eternal your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. So again, our day is now. And God gives us fasting as an opportunity, a privilege and an opportunity to, to physically, actively participate in this process and demonstrate. We're choosing it now. We want to. And our day is now that we have to reject Satan's mindset and actively embrace God's. Matthew 17 and verse 14. Here's an event during Christ's ministry. Very interesting event. Matthew 17 and verse 14. Let's just read this episode starting in verse 14. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. We know this is a demon afflicting this boy severely. But it's also interesting when you recall that 
the disciples had successfully cast out many demons before this. If you look back in chapter 10, for example, they had had success before in casting out demons. But this time they couldn't do it. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and he came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then his disciples came to Jesus privately. You can well understand why they would want to be in private. And said, Why could we not cast him out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief or lack of faith. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind, meaning this kind of demon, they had cast out other kinds of demons before, this one was different. And this one caused them to become intimidated and back down. This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. When Christ returns, this very demon right here that we're reading about, whatever his name actually is, but this demon will be among those banished from the earth. Plus, no doubt, other demons that are even worse than him. Plus all the other demons. Plus the worst one of all, Satan, their leader. But, but Christ's words, this kind goes out only by prayer and fasting. And on this day of atonement, it's as if we all have a part in this. Like we're all banding together in fasting today. And in having a part in freeing this world from its bondage. And giving it a fresh new start, like the Jubilee is. It's like we're, God is giving us all a part in, in banding together, in fasting, and having something to do with when those demons will all be banished from this earth. And we, just the opposite, being close to God and at one with God. We're doing our part to be in harmony with God now and drawing close to God now and showing God we want these offenses gone from the earth. We want to be there when it happens. What a privilege to be part of the ground floor phase of God's plan to set up his kingdom on the earth. What a privilege it is to be part of the elect group that God told to fast today, together. What a privilege to have the opportunity to show God we most definitely are choosing to be in step with him now. So we can be there when Christ returns and be partners with him in reconciling the whole world to God.